A new era is unraveling before us, and Tangent is back with a new limited series in collaboration with NYU Shack Institute of Real Estate. Tangent unites real estate lovers, technology adopters, and passionate creators in an effort to improve our cities and our built environment. Join us every month to learn how PropTech innovators, academic experts, and real estate leaders are solving our present-day challenges. If you're working on a PropTech solution, a nonprofit, or a small business that make our cities better and would like your mission featured on our features segment, feel free to email us at tangentcommunity at gmail.com. And remember, stay curious and always be learning. Hi everyone, this is Tangent with a new limited series in collaboration with NYU Shack Institute of Real Estate. I'm Edward Cohen. And I'm Shami Weissman. Today on Tangent, we have the opportunity to learn from Jeffrey Berman, general partner at Camber Creek, a venture capital firm focused on investing in real estate technology companies and that has been at the forefront of PropTech movement since 2011. Jeff is also an alumni of NYU Stern School of Business. Hi, Jeffrey. Where does this podcast find you? This podcast finds me in the blurry Zoom universe. <laughs> location undisclosed. I like that. That's been a pretty popular location in the past uh, 12 to 14 months. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for Not... in-person. <laughs> Who isn't? Who isn't? We, we really miss the, the human connections. And uh, Shami and Jeff, I cannot think of a more fitting guest to have on Tangent. I mean, you've been investing at the intersection of real estate and technology for more than a decade in companies mm -hmm. like Latch, the smart building access company that recently went public through uh, Tishman Spire's $1.5 billion SPAC, uh, VTS, the commercial real estate asset management platform, Comstack, among others that uh, we'll talk in a second. But first... As instant gratification creatures that we are, let's start with what's happening today. Let's, uh, what's happening today in the prop tech sector? From an adoption perspective, Jeffrey, what went from a nice to have to a must have for real estate operators in the past year? Yeah, that's a great question. Obviously, very topical. And I think you've probably heard this dozens of times before, but COVID was a tremendous accelerant for real estate technology and the real estate community. And I just want to say at the outset, this is a difficult sentiment for me to convey because COVID 2020 was our most successful year ever. It was the year where PropTech became, for the most part, a need to have instead of a nice to have. And at the same time, you have to balance the awful amount of human suffering that went along with that. So it, I, at least for me personally, and I know I can speak for my partners, it was a particularly acute and painful year watching our companies succeed because of a global pandemic or accelerated because of a global pandemic. And, and I actually, I, I want to make sure that's, that's clear. Our companies succeed because they're excellent companies. The global pandemic accelerated their expansion. And that was, that was obviously bittersweet for us. Coming from a venture capitalist perspective, I think that's, it's a very, uh, you know, nuanced and uh, personal feeling to have about it. I think you're you're hinting at timing here, which at the end of the day, in, in not only in real estate technology, but any any startup timing is at the end of the day what what makes or breaks it. You you can have the best teams, you can have the best backers and partners, but but the timing which you you didn't cause it, but you you had to be there uh, with the right 
tools, the right companies uh, to to take advantage and, and be able to help everyone around us in uh, real estate. Timing is is important, of course. I would also say taking a long view and having a thematic understanding of where the industry is going, which I think is unique to my partners and I and our entire team, which all have a base in real estate. Understanding the community that we're trying to serve cannot be overemphasized. That is something that I think and I feel should be table stakes and isn't. And you can see where there have been a number of very prominent, quote unquote, prop tech startups that have fizzled out and you try to understand and look and see why. And if you really delve to the core, it's a mismatch between a market that might not have been ready yet to receive innovation versus where people ought to be looking to, to satisfy that innovation craving. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the fact that traditional VCs have uh, flushed the prop tech sector lately, uh, I mean, you and Camber Creek were among the few OGs who started focusing exclusively on real estate technology as a, as a, as a VC investment class back in 2011. Yep. Uh, so, uh, I mean, you already hinted at this, but how, how are you staying ahead of, of the VC generalists and, and how has the sector evolved since uh, it was was more niche and now that, you know, the future has been pulled forward for us because of COVID and, and 10 years of innovation have happened in 12 months or adoption. So I feel like I should mention, we've actually been involved in the prop tech sphere since 2008. And because wow. there were a number of firms, we were formally founded in 2011, but we were identifying opportunities in the, in the real estate space to extract efficiencies and change workflow patterns that had stayed the same for decades and decades and decades. And that started in 2008, which as so aptly put it, makes us the OG in, uh, in, in, in this space. And there are a handful of other of our colleagues in, in the space that started around the same time, I would say 10, 2011, 12 for, for the rest of the field. And we as a group have been cheerleaders for this because the writing is on the wall as far as the necessity for the largest asset class on the planet to come into the 21st century. But when you ask how we stay ahead of the generalists, I, I wouldn't say it that way. I would say that we work with the generalists that have established themselves and understand pattern recognition. And now they're looking at real estate and saying, hey, this is where innovation is happening. How can we work with the prop tech VC community and work together to make sure that the right teams, funding, and opportunities are available. And so for us, it's a matter of listening to our LPs, which are roughly divided between institutions and pension funds, et cetera, and strategic LPs that own billions of square feet of space, hundreds of thousands, actually potentially up to a million multifamily units, hospitality, industrial, et cetera. And we listen to that community and we hear them what they need to help them do their job better. And that's also one of the reasons why if you look at our portfolio, we've been very careful about where we've invested our LP and GP money, which is only in a few dozen companies over that decade plus period, because we are a sniper. We're looking for the companies that fit two criteria. The first is, can we use the product software service within our portfolio matrix, which we define as the tenants, residents, and guests in the buildings that we and our LPs own? 
And the second question is, can we make a venture return commensurate with the risk we're taking at the stage we are taking? So if you look at any one of our portfolio companies, they all fit those two or answer those two somewhat rhetorical questions affirmatively. So that's how we stay ahead and also work with the generalist community. I love that. I love that. I mean, we, we, we're all in the same boat and uh, not in the Kumbaya version, but, you know, in the, in the version of uh, healthy competition to drive innovation, drive adoption. Uh, I want to point out something that you mentioned, which is that you help your companies find product market fit within real portfolios, actual properties, real estate uh, assets, which I think gives uh, your, your companies and your, and your teams uh, a huge advantage. I'm curious to hear how Camera Creek goes about the adoption of these technologies within the portfolio of your LPs and specifically the, the operators and the owners, right? Just, just curious about that whole process from start to finish. That's a fantastic question because when we started our business, we looked at the real estate landscape and said, what makes the most sense as far as our LP base and innovation timelines? And if you think about the real estate owner, operator, developers, et cetera, on a spectrum, as they get larger and their organizations get larger and more complex, innovation is more difficult to push through, especially in those early years. And so we made a concerted decision to surround ourselves with LPs at the time that despite the fact that they might've owned billions of dollars worth of real estate, the decision tree, the decision chain was very short. Somebody sitting at the top could make a decision very quickly. Now we have LPs that run the gamut from small to medium-sized businesses in the hundreds of millions of dollars in net worth to massive multinationals that have tens of billions of dollars of net worth. And we look across that spectrum and we try to fit each company that we're looking at for the opportunity to address pain points that those LPs have expressed. Because some LPs of a certain size will say, no to a specific type of innovation. And some of another size will say yes to a specific type of innovation. Our job is to modulate and make sure that we have enough of a critical mass that we can put that company on a venture path all through our own LP. So it really is a dynamic process. Got it. It sounds like a pretty interesting ecosystem that you're building for you. I'll say one of the, one of the things that, that I personally enjoy the most is the interactions that we have on a quarterly and sometimes even monthly basis with our LPs, just kicking around ideas. Because obviously it was topical with, with COVID-19 and we're talking about how return to work is going to look. And so there are all of these really interesting ideas that are being floated about. Some that are incredibly pressing, need to have elements like indoor air quality control mm -hmm. and some like digital access control that are becoming the need to haves and trying to figure out where is their opportunity to, again, extend that innovation curve. Yeah. And uh, just to give some context on the state of PropTech VC funding, uh, in 2019, $30 billion was invested in PropTech startups worldwide. And last year's figure went down to $23 billion, uh, which uh, most of the deals happen in the early or late months of the year. So uh, we're, not, we're not doing bad at all in terms of uh, pouring in resources in, in cap, human capital. How can we make our cities greener? 
That's been the Subversive Gardener's mission for the past 10 years. Founded by Vanessa Hardin, an award-winning artist, adjunct professor at NYU, Tandon, and Tisch, and PhD candidate at Harvard, the Subversive Gardener is a nonprofit dedicated to environmental education, design exploration, and public intervention by transforming underused or neglected spaces into something beautiful through the use of guerrilla gardening. For the past 10 years, Vanessa and her colleagues have created a plethora of tools, research, and collaborations in private-public projects designed specifically to make our built environment healthier and sustainable through urban farming. To learn more and take part in shaping the world around us with Vanessa and the Subversive Gardeners, please visit subversivegardener.com. All right, so let's uh, let's dive into uh, some of your uh, more exciting, uh, lesser well-known uh, portfolio companies. Um, Shami and I noticed a trend in some of your investments. Uh, you know, it may it be empowering stakeholders, including renters, real estate owners, homeowners, everyone in between, through uh, you know taking care of the tedious, less sexy part of transactions with uh, notarized. Uh, empowering DIY landlords with uh, property management software like Zebo and funnel, uh, or helping renters pay, make ends meet uh, in more favorable terms with Flex and their open banking. So yeah, tell us more. How are you, Jeffrey and uh, Camber Creek's teams of leaders empowering uh, stakeholders in our cities? Well, it starts with our LP base, and it starts with the, the forcing function of a problem set that they have. So you mentioned Flex. We have a very large contingent of multifamily owners and operators. And one of the elements that we have noticed that has not gone addressed is the problem of affordability in rental housing. It's not just a wage problem, it's a timing problem. If you think about when you pay your bulk expenses, it's typically on the first of the month, right? If you're renting or your mortgage, it's due between the first and the fifth. Well, if you're a wage worker and you're earning your money on the 14th and 28th of the month, then you have an imbalance between when your largest expenses are due and when you earn your money, which means you can have, you can essentially be naked and uncovered for emergencies. And there's a staggering stat, I still can't get over this, that somewhere between 50 and 70% of American households cannot afford a su surprise expense of $400. That's staggering. And the reason is not that they're not making enough money, that is a reason, but it's also a mismatch in the timeline of when the biggest, their bulk payments are made and when their income is earned. So Flex was born out of this idea of democratizing essentially lines of credit that are subscription-based, something that hadn't been done before. It is wholly unique in the prop tech sphere. And there's a reason they have grown as fast as they have and they're very quiet, they're stealthy, uh, so I hope the CEO, uh, Shragi Lichtenstein, and, and the co-founder doesn't mind my uh, talking about how wonderful this company is. But our multifamily owner-operators looked at this and said, they are, through frictionless technology, solving a problem that for the landlord, they it's magical. The landlord's getting paid on the first of the month. It's going directly and reconciling with their books, with their integrations. And the tenant is given the freedom to determine when they want to pay that rent. And it's not a loan. That is so key. So this is something that was an observed problem by our LPs. We identified the strongest team with the best solution. 
and we invested and continued to invest. As simple as that. Why isn't everyone doing it? As simple as that. It's uh, well, we no, are. I mean... <laughs> we're, we're the only prop tech VC in that company, and it's been it's been a wonderful experience to be surrounded by tremendous generalist investors. I'm not going to name them because again, the company is still in stealth. But at some point, uh, when it is announced, it's it's a really wonderful group of humans that have been assembled by Shragi and Yitong Shao, his his co-founder. Fascinating, and and I'm gonna take it a step further in terms of biggest expense uh, in the day of the month. Uh, also, when someone moves to a new apartment or switches apartment, that moment, the move-in costs are, are probably the single biggest expense that person will incur that year or in, in a multiple number of years. So the fact that you know we, we're in urgent need of tech solutions that bring this flexibility, uh, but also that uh, operational efficiency to our landlords, I can think of a similar situation, uh, you know, di different financial reality, but for, for DIY landlords uh, and, and big expenses when they are operating their properties, uh, they have to rent, make a major infrastructure innovation and that's it. Their whole rent roll will go on that day of the year. That, that's, that's exactly right. And, and taking that one step further, I'm sure you and Shami have noticed that there's been explosion of interest in the single family residential rental industry. There are billions of dollars that are being directed into that industry. We have two portfolio companies that address that. One is Darwin, which is a technology company that makes property management seamless for investors. And then there is Zebo, which is a landlord bank, essentially providing the financial services underpinning for the small and medium-sized landlords, which is a subset that has been traditionally, I wouldn't say ignored by the larger companies, It's just that if you were a, a landlord that had, let's say, between one and 100 units, you weren't necessarily going to beef up your tech stack in order to have the same kind of accounting and diligence software that you would if you were a much larger entity. Whereas if you're a small landlord, you still have all the problems, like, for instance, reconciling your tax receipts and what you've spent on CapEx and OpEx, et cetera. And Zebo does that, again, with the frictionless fintech backdrop that makes it easy for landlords to now participate in a way that they weren't able to prior. Is there an opportunity to combine the services of your portfolio companies for specific clients? Have you ever done any sort of bundles of, of services? So I mentioned earlier that the analog for real estate transactions can be found in the financial services industry. And so if you think about when all of us were children and I was a child, well before you guys, I think, were even dreams in your parents' eyes. Um, if my father wanted to trade stock, he had to call a broker who called a market maker who had the trade executed. It was not a seamless transaction. It had multiple touch points. Now, you have no idea, but I'm, I'm spacking my stonks and NFTs right as we speak on a different scale. <laughs> I'm just you have my undivided attention. But the, I could be trading stock right now like this, And you would have no idea. Despite all of the technology tools that we have in real estate, as far as discovery, due diligence, title, legal, financing, they're disparate. One day, they're all going to be seamless. And now taking a step back, you say, well, what are the technologies that are going to underpin our ability to have those seamless transactions and trade micro, like fractions of property, of, of property interest? 
We have a portfolio company called Bowery, which was the world's first end-to-end tech-enabled appraisal firm. They're creating a dynamic database that is continuously updated. Well, that's an MAI certification that all financings require. And then you look at Notarize. Notarize is the certification platform that makes sure that the transaction, that all the parties that are signing the transaction are actually who they say they are. Both of those pieces are necessary for the transaction of the future. So when you think about how we are looking at the future, and as you said, Shami, mashing up our companies or having them work together, it is certainly within our purview to understand how our portfolio construction is going to inert itself to a more ecumenical whole. So absolutely, we think that way. And that's something that our LPs understand that when we are investing in specific companies, we're not throwing a dart in the dark. We are creating a tapestry that may take years or decades to see, but there's a method behind the madness. There is no madness. There's just a method behind the method. Method behind the madness. No, no, I think that's I pretty it. accurate. And uh, it's, a, it's a Freudian well, there's no, there's, honesty. There's no, there's no, there's really no madness. I, I would say, because I, w- I would say that the, that when you think about the normal distribution of returns for venture capital, people talk about making bets and throwing spaghetti on the wall. Camber Creek's core fund does not ever use the term bets. We don't make bets. We make thoughtful and considered investments. So out of the no madness, spaghetti throwing activities going on here. No, out of the madness that the venture capital industry could resemble, there is certainly a method and a thoughtful process that we have that goes into each one of our investments. Amen. No, and I like that a lot of these solutions, you know, they're the less visible part of PropTech that arguably is more impactful for more people, right? Yeah. It's not the it's not the fancy looking latch lock, which is uh, very cool, but it's what happens behind closed doors. That's uh, that's uh, the real game changers here. Support for this episode comes from the Finance Savior. The Finance Savior is your personal on-demand finance coach. Whether through a holistic coaching program or focus session, the Finance Savior is here to set you on the right path of your personal finances, ranging from budgeting, saving, paying debts, investing, and of course, real estate passive income. With unlimited consultations, data, spreadsheet templates, and live one-on-one sessions, The Finance Savior will turn you into a financially resilient and diversified individual. Visit thefinancesavior.com to start your free trial or schedule your complimentary introductory session. Use code TANGENT to get a 20% off your first coaching session. ESG, how are your teams, you and your teams implementing sound ESG policy? And how do we measure the impact and effectiveness, right? Going back to Shami's uh, point earlier about real estate data applicability and, and how it's effective. How about ESG? That's an interesting word that you used. You said, how do we measure? It just so happens that we have a portfolio company called Measurable that we saw with the help of our LPs around the corner on the ESG trend, having been in- investors in the space well before it was a buzzword the way it is back in 2016. And Matt and his team created something that was revolutionary at the time and is now only becoming more prominent as institutional investors on down are looking at ESG and saying, you know, this was a nice to have previously, understanding where ESG fits in as far as our investment practices. Now it's becoming table stakes. The institutional investors, the the high net worth investors, the investment community wants to understand what what's 
what is the consequence, the repercussion, what opportunities do we have to create a more sustainable environment so that we're not looking back in 20 or 30 years and saying, wow, we really, we really missed, the, missed the basket on that one. So I would say that, again, being as targeted as we are, the investment that we have in the space, measurable, giving companies the opportunity to measure their buildings output and essentially make ESG reporting simple is something that is that has resonated for us for quite some time. As far as other technologies and innovations in the space, we maintain a key uh, a keen watch on it. And it's something that we're excited that our LPs are excited about. Uh, Jeffrey and Shami, let's uh, go into the future. Let's, uh, you know, we've been talking about the present, we've been talking about how we got here, but let's look at the future. What remains as the big, what some of the biggest obstacles to adoption and, and application of technology uh, to our built environment? Just one obstacle. What do you think that is? People or governments. No, no, you, you, you said it right the first time, people. Behavioral change is hard. When something is working, and this is so important for the real estate community, the reason that we have been a sniper as far as our investments, the reason we have made as few investments as we have, but exited as many as we have successfully and have a track record of pretty much no losses is a function of the fact that the real estate community, people describe it as a dinosaur, et cetera. It's not really, but it's a successful community. And when things are working, you have to ask yourself, why change it? And so, so many of the really interesting innovations that we've seen fit into that nice to have category. And if it just fits in that nice to have category, then especially if it costs money or organizational time, you find people that are less likely to say, I want to embrace this change. Whereas when something like COVID-19 happens and forces people to change, whether it's virtual tours, or whether it's remote online notarizations, or whether it's figuring out how to stretch out attendance payments, etc. That forcing function hopefully happens far and few between, but it really is, it comes down to people being open and having an innovation culture. Again, that's not easy. Last but not least, where can our listeners find you in uh, Camber Creek and the exciting companies you're building? Great question. They can find us on LinkedIn, they can find us on the World Wide Web at www.cambercreek.com. They can also find us by surfing the internet and just typing in our names in Bing or Google. <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a Bing fan. What up, Bill Gates? <laughs> you can definitely uh, Bing. You can Google what Bing is as well. Uh, so you can do that. <laughs> Jeffrey, thank uh, you very much. No, I love Bing as well. But I, you know, some people that don't know it, they can Google it. Jeffrey, you, since we met four or five years ago, uh, I thought you had a very podcast-friendly voice. Uh, so it's been fascinating to have you here, learn from your experience in uh, the real estate technology world and what you're doing with Camber Creek. Thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, uh, Edward and Shami. Thanks, Jeff. This episode was produced by Edward Cohen and Shami Wiseman. If you like what you heard, please share Tangent with a friend. Special thanks to Sam Shandon and everyone at NYU Shack. Tangent's artwork was designed by Michael Lowy. Thanks for listening to Tangent and remember, collaboration is our superpower as a species. So stay curious and always be learning.